Stanley sprints off the mound, sprints to the locker room, to the clubhouse, takes his mobile phone and calls Don Mattingly. And one more inning. Can I get one more inning? Can I get one more inning? I already threw 10 pitches. No, no, no. It's time for baseball from Hamburg, Germany. This is the Elf Academy podcast. And these are your hosts, David and Martin. Moin Moin and hello to episode number seven um, from our podcast. And once again, also on the line, Martin Schulze. Moin Martin. Hey, David. Yeah, I think the first part with uh, Steve Janssen was really interesting. But uh, yeah, the part two is at least as interesting as part number one. But maybe you can tell the listeners what we do, uh, what we hear in part two. Yeah, yeah, totally agree that part two is going to be even more interesting uh, because we're going to talk to him about his time at the World Baseball Classics, uh, where he coached. And we're also going to talk to him about his training philosophy a little bit in general, which was also interesting. And then, of course, we're going to have the famous kids questions. All right, let's jump right into the show. Yeah, because of Corona, you didn't play the WBC qualifier, but also talking about what can the Major League do. As far as I know, uh, Mr. Kepler wouldn't be allowed or it's almost impossible to pay his insurance that he can play a qualifier for us well the thing is i mean it was a little different than that i mean uh uh what i found out is uh let's put it let's just say the things uh let's call it by name organizations are not fan of the world baseball classic Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. one thing uh for the big tournament the world baseball classic there is an agreement between major league and the organizations regarding players participate. Even then, it's always a question mark if you get the player, yes or no. I mean, we had it in the past with the Dutch too. Uh, but if the players really want that, they can make it happen because mm-hmm. then the union, the players association jumps into it. So the uh, uh, if the player really wants to, he's playing. But for the qualifier, there is no agreement between the organizations and MLB. So if the uh, organizations say no, it's a no, whatever happens. So that was obviously that was obviously the reason why we didn't have uh, weren't able to have Max and other players who were eligible to play for us, major league players. Major, not the major league players. Okay. Yeah, uh, guys that were eligible, uh, guys, for example, that were born in Germany, uh, didn't have really the passport, but were born in Germany, which allows them, or that their parents were born in Germany, that would also make them eligible. Oh. So we had, uh, we could have, we could have had, for example, three or four major league guys on the roster, if they were allowed to. I still hope they put in the rule, if you have a German dog, you can also play for Team Germany at WBC. I think then we have a great... A German Shepherd, huh? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what they do in Italy. If you, if you have eaten a pizza or a spaghetti, you get a passport right away. Yeah, maybe you can talk to your guys from the Cups and did they work on it? <laughs> no, but the thing is, I mean, obviously that's the biggest difference between the uh, the Classic and a regular tournament for us which uh, makes it a little different. Obviously, the, the Classic is so much money involved uh, that would be would be so much benefit for the uh, DBV to be able to make the big tournament because you get, I mean, obviously, you get money to participate, which, yeah, I mean, that was also with the, with the Dutch. That's almost like, in a, like a sponsorship you have right there every yeah. four years. And that is huge, especially that because that money could be used for national teams or development and, and so on and so on. And, and that's why it's so important to, to be able to get in that tournament uh, uh, for the money. But second of all, to use that as, as a development uh, stuff for, the, uh, for baseball in Germany and to put it on the map. Yeah. That, it, it just gets coverage. Yeah. And, and talking about uh, the WBC here, yeah, um, 
you've been part of it two times uh, when we did the research right and one was in 2017 when you guys lost in the semifinals against Puerto Rico where yeah Radio Molina did this uh, famous backpick to first base right I forgot about that. I erased that from my memory. <laughs> yeah, too bad because we were we were uh, we were asking how how was the feeling there or how you talk to guys like that. But um, yeah, when when you don't remember, it, then uh, we try to help you a little bit. <laughs> well, I must say, like like you said, I was able to be in, in both classics in thirteen and seventeen, and uh, as well in thirteen as in seventeen, we both uh, uh, played the semifinals. In 13, we played against the Dominican Republic, who won it a day later. And in 2013, we, we uh, I mean, the Dominican Republic beat us. I mean, they won it. They had a great team. I mean, fantastic team they had. Uh, but in 2017, like you said earlier, against Puerto Rico, we lost. They didn't win it. We lost. No. Uh, it was, like I said, yeah, the 11th. 11th inning, we lost it. But, I mean, the first inning, the first inning, we got two guys picked off. We got a guy picked off second base. And then major third base, yeah. And first base. Oh, and both, okay. both major league players. Mm. At that particular time, it was just, I mean, do I, if I look back at it right now, it was being over-anxious, being too... Is it too caught up, up in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Too caught up in the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, stepping away from your normal stuff you're doing. Uh, trying to overact a little bit. I mean, in a positive way, but but it hurt you at that particular time. So, yeah, that game. I mean, but it was a great game. If you if you maybe wasn't part of a P, uh, of, a, of a, uh, be a part of one team, I think then it was a good game. But if I, I would yeah, be I mean, in your I, shoes, a, I would also raise it maybe. I mean, like <laughs> I said, as as a baseball fan, I think it was a very interesting game, a nice game to watch because a lot of things happened positively, negatively, uh, a, a good place on the other side, uh, errors, uh, mental errors, which is like. Yeah, like I said, it was a very good game for uh, for for the baseball fan in general and playing in 11 innings. Uh, uh, so that's that's something that's very 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 good for the game in general. I mean, that's what people are coming to the stadiums for. But I must say, it it hurt it big time. I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. Um, one thing before we ask the other question is, um, so you've been the bullpen coach when I did the right research here with Martin. Um, what did you tell a guy like Kenley Jensen who comes from the LA Dodgers and stands right next to you? And, and, and are, you telling, are you talking to him at all? Is it like back in Chicago? And you, nope, don't talk to him. You got this guy. You're allowed to talk to Bosenbrook who pitched for, used to pitch for Regensburg and now is pitching for Heinheim, who was also on the same roster. Yeah, well, the thing is, obviously, I mean, with Kenley was a little different. Well, first of all, all the players, I mean, if it was Kenley Jensen or Simmons or Didi Gregorius or Bogarts or Profar or Albies <laughs> or whoever, Scopey, all those guys are playing the big leagues. First of all, they're all great guys. I mean, they're very, very down to earth. I mean, they're very funny. They're... The biggest thing for them, the only the only reason why they're competing in that tournament is to be able to play together with all their friends they played uh, on the streets with when they were little guys. That's the only the only reason why they're playing, uh, just to have fun. Uh, coming back with Kenley, I mean Kenley was not part of the team, the entire World Baseball Classic because Kenley just signed. Uh, if I'm right, it was like an eighty million dollar contract. It was just that off season, so kind of like yeah, the Dodgers didn't really want him to play, and Kenley kind of like he was a little hesitated because the Dodgers didn't want to get him hurt and this and that, so he was not on the roster. But yeah, obviously you have a reserve list when when somebody gets hurt, you kind of put somebody from the reserve list on the big list. And at that particular time, I made a suggestion like, hey, even Kenley said no, let's keep him on the reserve list. For example, if we get into the semifinals, which would be in in Dodger Stadium, yeah, we might talk him into because that's only going to be for one day, for one for one game. 
so, well, at the end of the road, it turns out that we're playing the semis in Dodger Stadium. We got in contact with Ken Lee, he would really love to. And obviously at that time, Bam Bam, Hensley Mullins, who was the bench coach, uh, the hitting coach at that time for the for the Giants later for the bench coach, now with the Mets. I mean, called obviously uh, Don Mattingly, uh, the manager for the Cardinals, uh, from the Dodgers and talked something. Yeah, talk things through. And yeah, I mean, we were able to get him. So he came for for the funny thing was, and now I'm coming to your to your actual question right here. The day before the game, uh, we arrived at the stadium and Ken Lee came up. He was already on the field doing his running, and um, so I walk up to him and I said, "Hey," he said, "Hey, Steve, how are you doing?" I said, "Good. How are you doing?" He said, "Well." I don't feel really comfortable. I only threw like four times in spring training right now, four or five times. And it just doesn't feel right yet. I mean, um, so, okay, he's throwing a little side, a little bullpen, a little touch and feel right there. He asked me, what do you what do you see? I said, well, I see a disconnection between upper and lower body, which doesn't really work together. And he, sees, he tells me, well, that's what I'm actually feeling. So we're talking a little bit about in general and the well, and he's doing some some dry work. So the next day the game is right there. Well, I don't know if you guys are able to show that, but I don't know how many pitches he threw, like like ten or eleven pitches. Nine of them were strikes, and everything was like ninety four, ninety five. It was like it was ridiculous. It was made the best inning I ever saw in pitch. Everything was uh, uh, on the spot right there, which what I mean is it is so much feel for a player. And this is a major league player. I mean, it was at a certain time, maybe not today anymore, but at a certain particular time in his career, might have been the best closer in baseball. And he said, like, hey, I'm not feeling it. And then just like in one overnight almost, just – talking a little bit and have a little bit back and forward communication. I mean, was that the talk from me that make him throw better? Absolutely not. But the thing is just to make players aware of thinking and, and feeling stuff. And that's so important. If a player can't feel anything at that particular moment, he can make an adjustment. And that was, yeah, that was, uh, that was very interesting to see. And on the, on the other hand, the funny part was, Kenley could only throw one inning for us. So he throws that nine inning for us, but it was a hard ball game. So Kenley sprints off the mound, sprints to the locker room, to the clubhouse, takes his mobile phone and calls Don Mattingly. And one more inning. Can I get one more inning? And on the other side was no, no, no. And he said, can I get one more inning? I already threw 10 pitches. <laughs> no, no, no. So, and then he ran back in the dugout and he walked up to Hensley and said, Hey, I tried, but I can't go another one. So that's, that's pretty funny, which tells a lot about uh, how those players are into that at that particular moment. Yeah. Yeah. Great insight story. Great insight story. That's uh great, great. Listen to it. Um, I've just one other question through the WBC of 2017. I hope it doesn't hurt too much. But um, when we did the research, it said you were the head coach of Team Netherlands, but it, and still in uh, 2017. But at the WBC, you were only only in uh, I don't know the white word in English. Uh, I mean, it's still an honor to be there. But why have you only been the pitching coach and not the head coach? Was it? Well, it was it. No, the thing is, uh, in Holland, it's in Holland. It's very simple that um, the manager. I was a manager for all in, all the tournaments, but for example, for the World Baseball Classic, they are bringing in Hensley Mullins from Curacao, who is, yeah, who is a major league coach. I mean, that's that's the thing how it how it how it's been run for years, and that's just the thing. Obviously, at that particular time in two thousand from actually two thousand seventeen on. It started 2016. I had actually, I was a combination between, I was a manager slash pitching coach. Mm -hmm. um, so at that particular time, instead of being the bench coach, because I also worked with pitchers. Uh, so I worked the pitchers together with Bert Blalev. Um, and that's actually why, because I mean, it's the same thing, for example, last year, 
Avery Diantun was uh, was the manager, but for the Premier 12, they brought in Hensley Millens as the manager for that uh, particular tournament. That's just how they do it with the Dutch. I mean, you can talk about it, that's good or bad or whatever. I mean, that's just the way it is. So, I mean... Yeah, we were just wondering if this is made... If this decision is made by MLB, for example, no, by, no, no, by no, no. okay, no. Yeah, okay, not at all. That's just the federation itself. So, okay, all good. Interesting, very interesting. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and get a little more into training philosophy. The last episode, um, we had Matt Kaplinger, who is the pitching coach of University of San Francisco, um, and he was talking about uh, a weighted ball program that he really, really likes using. Um, so our question is, do you have, what do you think about weighted ball program or in general, or do you have any other similar throwing program advice, something where you say you really should work with this um, to improve, to get better? Well, I must say, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm a big believer of the weighted balls. I mean, uh, uh, for me, that's, that's a part of the entire arm care philosophy, which is very important these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, I don't think I'm going to tell any street secrets. Everybody knows the drive lines of the world and that type of stuff, which is which is huge. The only thing that I want to tell everybody is um, it's not because you do that weighted ball program that you're going to throw harder or whatever. Um, it's it's part of your – it's got to be part of your routine. It's got to be part of your uh, – of your development, yeah. but it's not, it's not the golden, the golden, yeah, it's not, that. it's not a thing is, Oh, now I'm going to do that. And now I'm going to be the next minor leaguer or the next major leaguer. Yeah. It's not, it's not how it works. It's just part of an entire thing. Uh, it has a lot of advantages. It also has a lot of disadvantages. The only thing is you got to find the right way of using it. Um, so I'm a big believer of the weighted ball uh, program, but I'm even a bigger uh, believer of uh, a long toss in general. If you can do a proper long toss program, you're not ready to do a weighted ball program. <clears throat> what I mean with that is uh, if you can do a, a, a proper long toss session, then your arm is not yet ready to do a good weighted ball program. Right. And how, how do what, what how do you measure what's a, a good long toss session or not? Well, what's a good how do you measure a good long toss session? I mean, for example, well, the thing that a lot of people kind of like are going to take one step back. What they kind of like uh, sometimes forget: you have a weighted ball program and you get an arm care program. An arm care program, you could use like uh, the sand balls and those type of thing. But a real weighted ball, for me, a weighted ball program is like a velocity program. Um, and an arm care problem, uh, uh, arm care, you can do at any time. I even u- use arm care uh, in, in warm up, which is even throwing like uh, those uh, heavy sand balls against the wall or whatever, even in a wall in, in, uh, in a warm up before you even throw a baseball. Right. Because that's the biggest thing everywhere in the world. Even when I was with the Cubs, 90% of all the pitchers are throwing to warm up instead of they warm up to throw. If you do a proper good throwing program, I mean, warm up, when you start your throwing program, you got to be able to throw your the baseball right away on the line. You don't have to do the little flip-flop tossing out there. If you really need that, that means you didn't warm up properly to throw the baseball. Interesting. So yeah. I, there's the big the big misunderstanding. Again, weighted balls, especially on the arm care side, big believer, but a very good long toss is very important. And what is a good long toss? Well, the best long toss program is the program that the player himself can feel it from himself. And he goes as far as he can that particular day. Stay there for about 10 extra, 10 to 12 extra throws. Then come back in. And then every ball he throws back in right now, that that uh, rainbow going to go a little flatter. And then you're going to throw the ball on the line with the same effort as you threw that ball the furthest 
that particular day. And now after every ball you throw, you come in like three steps and I call it, I call it the compression or pull down phase mm-hmm. and then come back into like 60 feet. And then you're still throwing with the same intent that you throw, for example, from the fence to the foul line or from foul pole to foul pole, which I really think that's the most important thing for pitchers. I think pitchers in general need to throw more, especially in Europe, especially in Germany. We need to throw more, but pitch less. I think sometimes we have the problem in Germany that you have a lot of two-way guys. It's really tough to figure out a good throwing program when you also play shortstop and pitch and i think even in the bundesliga or even in the in the national team we have a lot of still two-way guys absolutely i totally agree on that but i totally agree if we're talking about throwing bullpens and that type of stuff Mm -hmm. and i talk with players about that too but i don't agree on throwing program on really just a throwing program that also will benefit him if he's playing shortstop or if he's playing the outfield or whatever. A good throwing program should be standard for everybody. If we if we're honest and we look into throwing programs in general, how much do we throw at the best? Five minutes, ten minutes. That's it. I don't even I don't even think fifty percent of the Bundesliga players throw ten minutes during a practice. After five minutes, they're ready to go, and then they go into their whatever they need to do, BP or ground balls or whatever. Mm. They need to throw much more. And also with with kids, we got to throw, we got to throw, we got to throw. The thing is, if we can't play catch, we can't play baseball. If we can't play catch, you better be a very good hitter because otherwise you won't have plays on the field. That's what we try to tell the kids here. Most of the time, they have the best jokes while they're throwing, so we try to tell them focus on throwing right now and uh, absolutely when we ask them question they get really quiet sometimes <laughs> yeah correct yeah. and you know what and especially with kids i mean you can you, you gotta find ways to make it fun for the kids to throw but as long as they throw they need to throw they need to play catch i mean it could be i mean it's not only like partnering throwing back and forward it could be four corners it could be three corners it could be in games as long as you're playing catch that's the most important thing yeah you're definitely right um since the since we originally started this this these interviews for our academy players which are all uh, youth players up you know from i don't know 10 to 18 last in the last program when we talked about the weighted ball there was a question sort of at which age do you introduce tools like weighted balls compared to i mean you know long toss anybody can throw really any kid can you know can throw a long toss session but when do you start adding weights for example well first of all i'm gonna i'm gonna answer the question with a question a baseball is a weighted ball true so why are we throwing a baseball and not a tennis ball or another wiffle ball so for me there is no age the only thing, obviously, is I will never uh, let a, a, a seven-year-old throw a one-kilo ball. Right. I will never do that. But even a regular baseball is a weighted baseball. If a kid, for example, he's coming with his dad to the Hamburg field, and they're, I mean, dad is coming to watch the, 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 the Bundesliga team, and the kid is going to play in the backfield with his, kid, with his friends, and they're playing a little game or whatever, and all of a sudden they lose their baseball. Now they're looking for a new baseball. They found one that was that has been out there that hit the homer during practice, have been laying out there for a couple of weeks in the rain, and they're playing with that ball. That's a heavy ball. That's the weighted ball they're playing with. So the thing is, for me, there is not really an age to use a, a, a weighted implement to throw. Because if they throw, if they're used to throw a tennis ball, now they're going to take a regular baseball. They're throwing a weighted ball or an underweighted ball if they use a tennis ball or a wiffle ball. The only thing is, obviously, you're not you're not going to take an eight-year-old and let throw a one-kilo uh, 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 weighted implement. That's for sure. Right. So somewhere there's a line where where the weight becomes too much for the correct for the young body to handle yeah correct that's what i'm saying it's the same thing you're not going to put an eight-year-old and uh, put him on a bench press and say like okay push it up yeah that's not the thing as long as it is used in a natural way it is done 
mm. and let those kids play catch as much as they can and use all type of balls. They use a, a tennis ball, they use baseball, they use whatever, whatever balls it is. And even then you're already uh, working on different implements right there, plus and minus. Yeah, yeah. Um, Matt Kepling, uh, the pitching coach from, from UFC, was saying, as soon as you go a little bit heavier in the uh, in the weight room, you can also get heavier on the balls. That was just like plus minus age when it's a little bit like that's where you can go with heavier balls and start the weighted ball program. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like I said, it's so it's so individualized. I really think uh, for me. Uh, for me, uh, for me, my guideline is when I see somebody throw a baseball, I will never look to the uh, the weight room, because yeah. for me the weight room is not it, it's just a couple percent of the development of an entire pl of of player ability. If I see a guy throw a baseball as far, if I tell him throw the ball as hard as far as you can, when he's properly warmed up, obviously, and he he hardly reaches third base. That, for example, uh, on the senior field, I know I don't have to do anything yeah. with him at that particular time instead of throwing. But if he throws a ball over the fence, yeah. I know he's ready for the next step. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I always look at the baseball thing uh, 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 in that particular time. If we're talking about throwing, a way the ball program is throwing, then I look to their throwing. And I will never look into uh what they do in the gym or not well they probably because shouldn't you, shouldn't be in the gym in the first place if they if they are not correct going to third absolutely base, you know? mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. but that's why i'm saying you might have a 16 17 year old i mean i played against guys in in the past guys in belgium that's 17 years old and they were like they were massive they looked like i mean they were in the gym already and they i mean they had the perfect beach bodies let's put it that way but you gave him a ball and you told him throw the ball at first base and they broke their back. The thing is, it's very, it's, that's why I'm saying I always look, if we're talking about swinging a bat, I'm look, looking at swinging a bat. If we're talking about uh, the weighted ball program, obviously it could be used at any age. But mm -hmm. the thing is, again, just use different balls instead of really. Go like okay, we go to seven ounce ball or an eight ounce mm. ball. Let's put it that way. If that, if that eight year year old kid, it's not happening a lot in, in in Germany, but it's happening a lot in the USA. For example, if I'm throwing a ball and later I'm playing, I'm throwing a fo an American football with my dad. That's a way to implement too. It's heavier than a, than a baseball. Mm. It doesn't really. I mean, human body is not made to throw a five ounce baseball at any time. So that's already a way to implement. So it is very, very, I mean, that's where a lot of people kind of like get lost in, in the entire weighted ball uh, uh, philosophy thing. But don't misunderstand me. I'm totally for uh, for it, especially in the arm care and the velo stuff. Right. Later. All right. One more question to your uh, yeah training philosophy. It's... Um, I heard I heard it from a couple of guys from the national team and then and, and also here and there that you um and I don't know to say the perfect English, but um you're not paying too much uh, time on the right mechanic, this angle, this angle has to be here. You let the guys do their thing a little bit, obviously give here and there a little a couple of hints, but you also a more coach to give them advices to uh, figure it out by themselves and, and, and find solutions to uh, to compromise problems, right? Uh, correct. Well, the thing is, let's put it that way. If we take, if we take just five different players out of a team, we're going to have five different bodies. Those five different bodies are going to move completely different. One guy could be very uh, athletic. Another guy can be very... Uh, stiff in the lower half of his body, very flexible in the upper body, the other guy vice versa. So they're all going to move differently. There's not one way of moving. The only thing what's more important is the intent. What's the ultimate goal that that particular body has to do? That in combination with the intent will make the body aware and the body will organize itself to do that. What I mean with that is 
if we would take like a seven-year-old that is just playing baseball for a year, I mean, and he's still having trouble in throwing the baseball if they're partner up back and forward. You get a lot of coaches saying like, hey, his arm angle is, is, is too much down or too much up or whatever. How, what can I do with him, Steve? How can I make him throw better? Well, just if that guy's warmed up probably, just tell him, go with him to the right field foul line and just tell him like, okay, right now, throw the ball as far as you can and fill him in. If you're going to fill him in of that particular time and the little kid throws the ball as far as he can, that's his natural way of throwing. Mm-hmm. Because the human body will organize itself. That body gets told his brain, hey, I got to throw the ball as far as I can. Now you will see that that way of throwing is totally different than the way he has been throwing with his partner. It's not only with that seven-year-old kid. We did the same thing with pitchers from the national team, and there were two different ways of throwing. And when yep. they threw the ball as far as they could, they threw their national way, and their arm didn't felt anything. They went on the mound, and they, they threw like they have been teached to throw, and they had arm, not arm problems, but arm discomfort. Yeah, yeah. Which is maybe a very good tip for all the coaches who are listening here, um, because I mean, I, I learned the same as a coach that you try to break down. If you become a, uh, there's a kid coming into your practice, let him throw for one meter and then uh, pull him up in distance. Um, yeah, nowadays I do it the upside down and first throw is as far as he can, and then you can see how his natural throwing is. Which absolutely, is, absolutely. Think, yeah. That's that's the thing yeah. is, and and give him give them uh, the thing is. Let's put it that way. Just if you ride the bike, what is easier to dr- drive the bike? To drive it fast or to drive it as slow as you can? I mean, that's what we're actually asking. I mean, for example, right, how many yeah. t- how many times if, if, for example, a youth pitcher is pitching and he has difficulties throwing a strike, uh, then we have coaches that say, hey, throw strikes. Oh, no shit. What, what is it? The kid is trying to throw a strike. No. <laughs> But then we, we tell them like, hey, slow down, slow down, do nice and easy. Well, yeah. it becomes even more difficult. Yeah, that's true. So absolutely. I mean, just and just look at Hunter Pence, the way he swings the bat, the way he throws. Yeah. It, it is hurting while you're watching it. But <laughs> you know true. what? Yeah. But you know what? He gets the if, job done. If he would be a if he would be a, a little leaguer, if he in his little league time would have a coach that changed him totally, he would never play in the big leagues. Yeah. No, not at all. And he would have been going from one injury into the other injury because the majority of the injuries are handmade. What I mean with that, it's because of bad instruction. It's because of guys taking out their natural way of movement. Very interesting. Great, great answers so far. I, I really like the... Talking baseball here with you. Fanclub Deutsche Baseball Nationalmannschaft, dein Platz direkt hinter der Homeplate. Folgt uns auf Instagram oder Facebook unter dem Hashtag Wir leben Baseball. All right, we're gonna make it to the we made it to the kids' questions and also listeners' questions. And the first listener question comes from the Netherlands. Um, Jose Baez um, is asking, what is his plan to hold coaches responsible for his technical and technical res- philosophy? Well, first of all, if you, if you, put, if you put together a staff, um, what I really, what I, for me, it's very important. If I assign somebody to, uh, for example, as a, as a pitching coach, then obviously I talk with the guy who's responsible for the pitching about the philosophy and things, but then I kind of like give him his responsibility on the pitching side, which I, at that time, I give him that, I give him the time to work with it. I give him the time to kind of like fill that in himself and to work with those guys. And I think I give a lot of freedom right there, but at the end of the road, yeah, they have to deal with that freedom and have, obviously have to work around that philosophy. If that means at the end of the road, we, we end up like, hey, you know what? It wasn't good or not good. Then I made the wrong choice of taking that pitching coach. 
So I think it's very important to 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 give everybody his freedom to work. I don't want my coaches to be uh, like an ape who just do whatever or do whatever I I ask him to do. So they need they need to be able to work uh, individually, but obviously they all also have to be able to work with that freedom. So for me, that's very very important. And in Germany, you're allowed to do your own uh, coaching stuff, right? That's this question comes from me, and not uh, just uh, yeah. So you are deciding who's your coaching staff, or is the DBV? I mean, they also have a couple of guys having on their payroll already. So no, I talked. I talked with them. Obviously, I say I want to have that guy and that guy and that guy, and the DBV at that particular time. Obviously, I mean. I didn't have it yet. What they say, you can't have that guy or that guy. Uh, but for me, it's very important that, and that's what I said from the get-go. I wanted to have like, especially for uh, uh, the national team and the under 23, I wanted to have the same uh, people uh, because it's so close to each other and a lot of even same type of players, which for me was very important to have the same people running out there to do that job. So it's kind of like, yeah, for me, it's very important to have the same thing going. If I look at it at the past, uh, when I saw it from outside the other dugout, it was always like every other tournament, there were like two, three other coaches in the coaching staff. And for me, it's very important to get uh, a continuation going. Mm -hmm. um, that was something I, I wanted to change from the get-go. Uh, and obviously, I mean, uh, it's into its second year and we had to make a couple of adjustments already. But at the end of the road, we want to have the core, the same people going through. Um, okay, so then we have a question from Bengt. Uh, he's one of our older academy players. He asks, um, was there a situation where you thought, I'm done with baseball? <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> Good. I can, and and I, I mean, I actually, I can, I can um, imagine a life without baseball. For me, I mean, uh, baseball will always be uh, in my life in a certain way. It, 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 if it's not on the field, it's off the field. It always will be part of it. Like I said, if I will come to a situation where I can't be on the field anymore. I mean, it will be it will be in a different situation, but there will always be will be baseball involved. That's for sure. All right. Uh, yeah, Simon Boymer, you, I think you know him already. Uh, I know. Asking. All right. Um, how do you find all the players for Team Germany with German passport or being available to play for Germany? Well, first of all, I mean. Uh, 99.9% are playing in the Bundesliga. Uh, but obviously, um, yeah, I mean, you you look around, you do research, you're talking, your network. I'm pretty privileged that I have a big network. And you're looking for people that, um, that have German passports. Uh, there aren't a lot yet we found. I mean, we found a couple for the under 23 last year. We had a couple guys, a couple college guys. Uh, but at the end of the road, uh, yeah, it always, it's, it's researching, it's doing, it's the same type of research we do in Germany, in the Bundesliga, or even in the second Bundesliga, because uh, it might not look like that, but we're also looking in, 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 in lower division, I think. Shami Steiger was the best example last year, making the national team, and didn't play for a Bundesliga team. Um, uh, for a first Bundesliga team, so there's a lot of there's a lot of options, and um, it's very simple. Obviously, we're looking at that particular time for the guys that will be able to give us more chance to win. But obviously, uh, we don't want to get into a situation where we're going to play with a team full of uh, German passports who nobody in Germany knows. I mean, that's that's something we are definitely be aware of. That's something we will never do. I mean, there always have to be a feeling between the the people in the stands and the, the team that's on the field that there's there always have to be a certain recognizability. That's that's huge. Um, okay, so then we have a question from Finn, who is one of our younger players. He's uh, he's twelve. Um, he asks, um, you, since you play baseball a lot yourself, um, and 
His question is, did you have a role model when you played baseball yourself as a young player? Well, my entire life, I mean, I was a huge fan of Don Mattingly. I mean, uh, Don Mattingly, the way he played, I mean, he always hustled. He played the game hard. He always came off the field dirty. I mean, it was, for me, it was my... uh, he was my idol. On the other hand, it wasn't as easy for us back in the days as today. There was no internet. I mean, there was no baseball on television. I mean, uh, so it was very hard to, uh, to, 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 first of all, watch games or to see games, which was once in, well, might not happen. There were years you didn't see anything. So, uh, but Don Mattingly, for some reason, I always, uh, I always admired as a player. And that's why I, at that particular time, I became a Yankee fan too. But that was more because I was a Don Mattingly fan than anything else. Right. Yeah. But Yankees are a good choice. But anyway, second question. <laughs> <laughs> second question from Finn is, were you nervous when you walked onto the field in the minor leagues? No, absolutely not. Um, let's put it that way. I mean, I... I I've been in different situations than a minor league field. Um, it was it was just fun. Let's put it that way. Every time I step on a field, if it's just in the backfield, in uh, in uh, if it's the second field of Hamburg, for example, or it's the it, it's 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 Dodger Stadium where we where we play the semis of the World Baseball Classic in 17. Mm-hmm. For me, it's the same feeling. It's stepping off field. And obviously, if you come in a very nice stadium, never been into that. I mean, the first couple steps, you might look around and admire the nice thing. But by the time you get into that and the game starts, it's baseball. So, Nate, it works. So regardless, regardless of minor league or not, it, it's that's it's like that you you the first few steps and then you're into the game correct absolutely absolutely and which is which is normal i think i mean i mean if you step on in dodger stadium for example and the day before the game and 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 you practice and you you look around the first couple steps oh nice and this and that but then for example the practice starts and then it's just yeah daily routine going on yeah. Okay. So then we have a question from uh, Tennis. He's also 18, um, uh, playing in the academy. Uh, we found out in the research that you were a technical director for the Belgium Federation. Is that right? Yeah, it was actually a combination. It was actually a national team coach and kind of like, uh, yeah, they call it a little, little bit technical director. It was more like okay. uh, administration uh, title to get things going. I did that for three months. I mean, it was great. It was great to work with the players. It was great to work with the people from the Federation. At the end of the road, things didn't work out with the clubs. Um, I wanted to change a couple of things in the entire uh, baseball community in Belgium. And uh, when we started things, clubs didn't really talk. I was going to be able to change those things. And all of a sudden, mm. there was a voting uh, and it was voted for all those changes. So we were going to do those changes. What I thought at that particular time was necessarily to bring Belgian baseball to a high level. Then there was a political game where they uh, fired the people who hired me. And at that particular moment, I was left alone. So I kind of like stepped away from that job. Uh, but at the end of the road, I must thank all the people that were against me because after that, my personal career all only went uh, north. Uh, so I really have to thank all of them that were against me because I might have never made the same career I made right now. All right. Then uh, Max is uh, also 12 asking, um, I guess it's. On, on your job as a general manager for Team Germany. Is this your main job or do you have another side job? Well, I'm uh, one of the uh, very few, uh, very few happy few, especially in Europe, that can uh, uh, work baseball full time, um, which I know I'm very privileged in doing that. And I will embrace that as long as I can do that. Um also from Max, another question. Um, so in times like these, where we all can't get together and practice uh, together, we give our academy players things to do. 
like, you know, virtual workouts. They have a training plan that they have to follow. They also have to listen to podcasts like this. Um, but do you have these kind of things for your players um, as well? Uh, we do have stuff for players, uh, but at this particular stage, uh, we focus a little bit more on the strength and conditioning and the overall uh, athleticism of players. So we're we're focused a little bit on, more on that side right now. Okay, then Valle, also academy, but playing for the Hamburg Knights, is asking, is winning your priority or is your priority to get the players better? Well, it's a very good question. And you know what? That's always a very difficult thing, a very difficult line, especially with the national team. Valle is known for good questions. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of, course, of course, you always you, you always want to get uh, make guys better. But on the, on the other end, the only thing that matters in the European Championship or, for example, a World Baseball Classic, there's only thing that counts is winning. Um, so we try to make try to find the right way where we can add boats, not only winning, but also making guys better. And of course, if we can make each other better, we're going to be better as a team and we're going to have more chance to win, obviously. Uh, but it's a fine line. It's a fine line. But yeah. We try to do both. Well, there's a big difference between club teams and, and selection team. Correct. Yeah, and playing, also right? between yeah. under 23 and senior, I guess. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean, sure. correct. Uh, uh, absolutely. But the thing is, I think, I mean, looking from my standpoint, maybe I have, <laughs> that's actually maybe a good question I should ask guys that were both an under 23 national team. I think I kind of like did it the same for both teams. I mean, from my personal mm. feeling. So, um even with the national team, you always try to give them something extra where they're going to be a better ball player tomorrow, but still try to do everything you can to uh, be successful at that day. Okay, so then another question also from Valle. Um, he is asking, how do you handle losing games? Well, if there's one thing that I really hate is losing. So... <laughs> I was very fortunate in my entire career. I mean, even as a player from a youngster, I was more on the on the W side than on the L side. But still, I hate losing big time. The biggest difference in a tournament is obviously there's coming up a game the next day. I mean, for example, yeah. if you have a club team and you lose on Saturday or Sunday, your last game, whatever it was, you have an entire week to kind of like set that, give that a place and, and, and get ready for the next weekend. Now, we might play, for example, a night game, lose, for example, in extra innings, come in the hotel at, at midnight and might have a 10 o'clock bus to play a one o'clock game in the afternoon. So you don't have a lot of time to kind of like, yeah, really give that a place. So what I really want to do with the players, what I always say is by the time they, obviously, by the time they get off the bus and step in the hotel, the game has got to be over. If we're winning or losing, right. the focus has to be on the next day. That's why if if, if we're on the bus after, after a loss, it's going to be very quiet. So by the time they get off the bus, I want them. That's also when the bus driver shuts his door. Then that negative thought about that loss is still in the in the bus. We're going to the room. You take your shower, or if you take, they want to eat something or whatever. But then when they wake up, it's got to be focused on the next day because we don't, we cannot uh, let that loss from the day before still be in your head the next day because otherwise, you already start the game behind. Uh, and you're gonna uh, 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 limit yourself in being uh, successful that day. Uh, um, yeah. Next question from Valle is: Do you have more goals as a coach for the future, or did you reach your goals yet? I think it's. It, I think it would be very bad for me if I would say I reached my goals, because that would mean I wouldn't try to be uh, better every day. Because also as a coach, it's the same thing as a player. You want to be a better coach and in the first place, a better person today than you were yesterday. I look at being coaching a player, it's the same way. As a player, you always have new goals, new 
things you want to accomplish and this and that. And it's the same thing with coaches. So there's always something new you want to reach. There's also always a next goal you want to uh, uh, head to as a coach. And what's the most fun as a national team coach? Yeah, you can you can pick the best players. Good <laughs> <laughs> point. Right. Yeah, sure. uh, I would say I, I really like being a national team coach. On the other hand, I do miss working from uh, one weekend to the other weekend with with with, for example, being able to work with a team every day. Um, I do miss that, which is totally different, and it's very fun too. That's good. I mean, yeah. picking the best players. Is Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good fun. answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. All right. So, so from Dustin, he's 15. Um, what was your best baseball moment in your career? <sighs> well, obviously, I mean, as a coach, uh, as a pitching coach for the Dutch national team, winning the world championship in 2011, obviously, is one of the highlights. That's obviously uh, uh, being able to say you won a world championship. It's that's something special. Uh, on the other hand, I was able in 2004 to be as a pitching coach at the uh, Olympic Games in Athens. We didn't we didn't play good out there, but just being able to be at the Olympic Games, looking back at it, was is huge, obviously. And then as um, as a manager. I mean, think it was very special winning my first European title in 2014 with the, my first year as a manager for the Dutch national team. Winning the European Championship was, was a very special moment. On the other hand, winning the silver medal with the under-23 was a special moment too. And I'm not saying that because I'm working for Germany right now, because I can tell you, also with the Dutch, I have two... I reached two uh, 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 second places with the national team, but I can tell you that before I left the field, I threw those silver medals away because we didn't want silver, we lost gold. Mm -hmm. and those silver medals mm -hmm. didn't right. meant anything to me. But this silver medal in the under 23, I still have, and they're in the same in the same frame next to my golden medal of the world championships in 2011, right. because for me, that was a special one. I mean, uh, uh, reaching that thing, reaching that goal, reaching that medal with the under three team from Germany. Yeah. Meant a lot to me. No, that, that's, that's the beauty of sports. Isn't it? Yeah. Correct. That's what I'm saying. So it depends. I mean, which, For me, I mean, I'm, uh, for me, that's that's also a very important thing right there. So it's it verifies a lot. Obviously, winning a world championship, winning an under-23 medal, competing in the Olympics, uh, winning your first gold ever as a manager. I mean, these were like, yeah, obviously, there's still other highlights too, but and, and personal ones. But yeah, those type of things for me are at this stage – some kind some they have a special place in my heart right and dustin is also asking what do you pay special attention to when you're putting uh, together a team i know you mentioned this a little bit earlier but um yeah first of all uh, first of all I, i want to select the best possible team and uh, what a lot of a lot of people don't understand is that the best team isn't always the best players so you you're looking for different things you're looking uh, you're looking for starting pitching you're looking for guys that can come in later in the game uh, to do the job you're looking for guys the most important thing you're looking for is for guys that can handle handle stress mm -hmm. yeah. because you're always going right. to play in stressful situations it could be the best player in the bundesliga and when he comes to a bigger stage He might he might be shaky. He might be instead of being able to turn that double play, kind of like double have to double clutch every time and whoop, can't turn the double play. For example, that being said, I didn't have any complaints as how we how our middle infielders played at the Europeans because they did a great job. Because <laughs> um, I don't want to have any of those guys shooting at me, but. Um, <laughs> No, but what I'm saying is that it's yeah, it's different to play at that level. So I'm looking into guys that uh, 
that can play at a higher level, that are able to calm down their nerves and play through it. And then also, which is very important, like I said earlier too, can guys uh, handle a different situation that they have than they handle in their club? If I'm an everyday player and now all of a sudden I'm just a, a guy off the bench, how do I deal with it? How does that guy deals with it? What type of person is it? Is he a guy that would be able to uh, bring negativism in the team? Or is that guy just makes the team better because of his positive influence in, in a team? Uh, so that's that are big things you're looking for in an entire uh, – when you put down a roster. Right. Cool. So uh, last question from Dustin. Uh, what is your goal with Team Germany? My team with Team Germany is to be, be a better team tomorrow than we were today. I think we already did that last year. Uh, with under 23, we had the results. With the national team, we didn't. But my goal with Team Germany is, is very simple, is one day with the under 23 win the, win the championship and with the national team win a medal. And then the next step is a medal higher and so on and so on. Right. So yeah. being able to compete in every single day with any single team we're playing. All right. Then Yamika from the Dawn White Farmers is asking, was it, what is it like to be a national team coach compared to a club team, for example? Well, the biggest difference is you're not able to work with them uh, daily and you're not being able to go from one game into the other uh, and really work on things. So it's very seasonable. I mean, you're working with those guys and we have that one tournament coming up somewhere uh, during the summer. And everything has to click in that one week. And with a club team, you can work. For example, we played this weekend and we failed on our bunty fences. So you can pick that up the entire week and work extra on the bunty fences of, or work extra on the offensive side. And then hopefully it will come better the next week uh, uh, going to the league. So that's the biggest difference, obviously. All right. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, or the whole interview is uh, about that you have a lot of experience and work with a great coaches together. And our final question for today is: um, What would be your favorite coaching staff? We we're offering you a pitching coach, a first base coach, third base coach, hitting coach, bench coach, and we already announced you as the uh, general manager, as the head coach. Well, I would put in the guys that I have right now. <laughs> That's a good answer, but... Uh, I can't get away with it? No, not today. Uh, not today. Be well, my so favorite... Maybe we ask the question again. My favorite... Besides, you have the best coaching staff right now, as we all know. Yeah, I mean... What... Who would it be from the past? Uh, let's put it that way. Oh... Um, okay, best pitching coach, uh, Brent Strong from the Houston Astros. He would be my pitching coach. All right. Any specific reason? Uh, yeah, because um, he changed my entire philosophy. And Oh, no, I say it wrong. He kind of made me look into stuff, why I changed everything and, and got a wider view out of the window for things that's really happening if we're throwing a baseball. All right. So, okay, first base coach. First base coach. Um, first base coach. Okay, let me see. Uh, Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson. Okay. Yeah. So you work with him? Uh, no, never. I don't. Never met him. Why? Okay. Why he jumps up to me? Because he was the uh, maybe the best base stealer on the face of earth. So he would be able to tell all our guys that get on first base how to steal second, and we would be able to steal all the bases. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Then uh, third base coach. Um, third base coach Ron uh, Ron Wodus from the San Francisco Giants. Okay. He's probably he's also a third base coach for the Giants. Um, he's probably one of the best best baseball people with the most knowledge I ever met. He's uh, he's one of a kind. He's a great person, and he's a fantastic uh, fantastic human being and a fantastic coach. And uh, I would put him at third base. All right, then hitting coach 
I guess and believe it's Andrew Jones, or am I wrong? No, no, not Andrew. No, not Andrew. Okay. Andrew was a great hitter, a great hitter <laughs> and a great personality. But uh, as a hitting coach, I would take Dave Hutchin. He's now the uh, uh, used to be the hitting coach for the Astros. He's not now the bench coach for the Blue Jays, if I'm right. Why? Why him? Because mm-hmm. he's teaching hitting out of the same window that Brent Strom is teaching pitching. I was in the in the possibility to meet him, actually doing clinic together with Dave in in Toronto. I got the chance to know him. Besides, not only being a great baseball person and a great human being, but he knew so much about hitting and talking with hitting with him. I felt I was talking pitching with Brent. So that's that was something very special. And it sounds like it's the philosophy or used to be the philosophy of the Astros if they both been part of the Astros. Um, yes, yes. The Astros are yeah. big in that. I mean, we didn't talk about yeah. uh, um, videotaping. We didn't talk about trash cans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to ask the next question here. <laughs> All right. Um, and who's your bench coach? Um, could be it could be a couple guys. Yeah, but you have to decide for one. We low on budget. We low on budget. Um, <laughs> bench coach. You know what? I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put a guy who would never be a bench coach because he's a pitching guy, but I'm gonna put him right mm-hmm. there because he became through the years a very close friend with me, and that is Bert Blyleva which is for me, uh, I had the ability to work together with him in two World Baseball Classics. And from the first second, we got to know each other. We uh, we felt connected. And uh, he's a fantastic human being where we still have a lot of contact. And I call him a partner. He calls me partner. And... Uh, He would be he would be my bench coach together, and I could do an extra one together with Jan Collins. And Jan Collins is used to be the bench coach for years with Neptunus, rather than. And Jan is uh, Jan and myself. We worked together a lot with Neptunus, and we were we were very close. We thought the same way. Um, when I started the sentence, he only needed three words and he uh, closed the sentence or the other way around. And he, he always have a special uh, place in my heart. Um, so he will be, those two guys will be my bench coaches. All right. Perfect. Perfect words to end the, the episode here. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for this great interview, for giving us so much insights also um, of all your of all your career and especially I think it was also really interesting for the kids here and coaches your that you shared your knowledge with us and yeah thank you very much for that. it's a pleasure and hopefully I mean I want to I want to actually end up with I want to wish everybody I mean um, not only all the kids but or coaches or whoever is listening but also all their families and friends uh, please stay safe healthy and well these days and hopefully this is over very soon and we can go out go back on the field and do what we most love all of us and play the game of baseball no i agree i agree uh steve also from me thank you so much for joining us today um this was very very great you're welcome thank you Ja, Martin, für mich war das eine überragende äh, Folge mal wieder, muss ich ehrlich sagen. Also die Insights, vor allem die er da über den World Baseball Classics mit Team Holland gegeben hat, äh, ja, dass man dann irgendwie das Storm Manically mitten in dem mitten im Spiel nochmal angerufen wird, ob der Pitcher nicht doch noch ein Inning pitchen darf oder so. Ja, sowas erfährt man natürlich nicht und fand ich echt cool. Ja, mega, total. Das war richtig viel Info, richtig gute Sachen, Spieler und dann am Ende eben auch ähm, für Coaches, wieder, wobei es auch für Spieler und Coaches gilt natürlich, was er so über seine Trainings- und Pitching-Philosophie ähm, gesagt hat. Das war total interessant. Ähm, ja. Ja, und dann äh, 
finde ich halt, Eigenlob stinkt, aber es ist natürlich auch cool für die Kids und das sagen sie auch und geben uns ja auch das Feedback, dass es natürlich einfach eine coole Geschichte ist, dass sie ja, den Nationaltrainer einfach mal ein paar persönliche Fragen stellen können. Und da muss man sich halt auch nochmal ganz klar bei Steve bedanken, der dann wirklich sich da mit uns zusammengesetzt hat und auf die Fragen eingegangen ist. An der Stelle nochmal vielen Dank an Steve Jansen. Und ja, die Kids haben ja nicht viel Zeit, um sich auszuruhen. Ähm, weil unser nächster Gast ist der dreimalige Nord-MVP, Maurice Wilhelm, äh, einer unserer Deutsch-Amerikaner, ähm, unter anderem deutscher Meister geworden mit Bonn. Und den haben wir am Sonntag schon bereits wieder in der nächsten Folge. Ja, und mit Maurice, das wird wirklich interessant, weil das dann wieder mehr so ein, so ein Spieler-Interview ähm, ist, wo unsere Jungs oder nicht nur unsere, alle Spieler natürlich irgendwie sehr, sehr dicht dran sein werden. Und das äh, werden sie wie bei Nadia mit Sicherheit auch wieder aufsaugen, schätze ich. Richtig. Und äh, wir wissen ja auch, äh, dass äh, Maurice unter anderem gegen die University of San Francisco gespielt hat. Und wir werden natürlich auch mal fragen, ob er Matt Keplinger schon kannte zu dem Zeitpunkt. Ja, total interessant, wenn sich die Kreise zwischen den einzelnen Episoden immer wieder mal schließen und man solche Querverbindungen dann rausfindet und da immer wieder anknüpfen kann. Gut, also die nächste Folge kommt am Sonntag und bevor wir uns jetzt endgültig verabschieden, einmal noch ganz schnell Danke an JD für das tolle Intro und an Kevin McLeod für den Song Surf Shimmy, den wir hier immer benutzen. Ja, von mir gibt es auch nur noch ein Tschüss, bleibt gesund und bis Sonntag. Bis dahin, ciao.